in this episode of the Live Damn Well podcast. I try to think about nutrition from the perspective of evolutionary biology. There's a guy, Bill Schindler, he's a professor, he's, he's a great guy. And I love his message because it comes from our, the archeological record. It comes from understanding our teeth, our gut, the pH in our stomach. The biology, the biochemistry of our bodies are a much better indicator or marker of what you should be eating. So my biggest message to people is if you're talking about food from a moral, ethical, global warming standpoint, you don't win by eating plants. Like if you buy Monsanto corn, you're contributing as much to a, a toxic food system as you are uh, by getting a grain-fed uh, cow. It, it's you're not winning. Someone who's like who has a staph infection and they're using herbs to cure it or treat it. I think that's probably a bad idea because before agriculture, before modern medicine, people used to die from infections and from trauma. And so Western medicine has a very powerful role, including vaccines. And this is a huge thing. Like vaccines have a lot of benefits. There's a lot of very, very important life-saving, like millions and millions of lives saved by this stuff. But when you start piling everything into one, all vaccines are the same. All viruses and bacteria are the same. All people should eat only this one way. All, everyone needs to do this. Everyone, it's like, no. Welcome to the Live Damn Well podcast. My goal is pretty simple, to bring you both sides of the story in a cancel culture world where open conversation seems to be nearly impossible, especially in the sciences. I hope to bridge the gap between ancestral living and modern medicine, using the best from both worlds to inform how modern humans should live for optimal health and wellness. By interviewing experts in the fields of evolutionary biology, neuroscience, metabolism, exercise physiology, epigenetics, and beyond, I hope to tackle the topic of health from as many angles as possible to make this podcast into an amazing resource for anyone looking to improve their health. Thank you for joining me. Dr. Schliffer, what do you eat in a day? What do I eat in a day? Well, I fast every morning. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of fasting. I break my fast um, usually like during my lunch hour between one and two, and it's generally zero carbs. Um, So protein and fat. Um, Typical lunch is like um, maybe some sardines and an avocado, uh, whatever meat I had from dinner, I'll finish um, eggs and chicken, something like that. And then dinner is the most robust meal. It's usually right after my workout, just the way my schedule works out. And then I I generally liberalize a little bit, whether it's a little bit of rice or a little bit of tubers like potatoes. Um, And then if I'm going to have a dessert, it's usually some kind of nuts with dark chocolate, which I have a lot of different options like that. Um, And then then I, I eat fruit seasonally. Um, so, uh, I'm not like low, low, low carb. Uh, I just don't right. eat, eat sugar. I don't eat, um, corn. I don't eat uh, wheat as a rule. Um, but I'm not sick, so I don't need to be zero carb. Right. So right. I just focus on protein and fat. Uh, my fat is usually paired with, um, whatever protein I'm eating. 
And if I'm eating a really low protein, I'll, I'll add something like an olive oil or avocado oil mayonnaise, um, or I'll cook it in ghee or something like that. Now, is that the fat mostly from animal sources or is it for plant sources as well? Yeah, I, I, I mostly from animal sources, just in the nature of what I eat is like an animal based diet. Um, but you know, I'll have avocados, I'll have nuts and seeds. I eat a lot of seeds. I love seeds. Um, I add ghee to a lot of my food. So I would say like 90%, um, uh, animal fat, animal sourced. Yeah. So the reason I started with that is because I think most people, I think now it's changing, right? Most people are getting the idea that it's like, okay, it's not that black or white. Um, but there are still some people, especially in the vegan world where, you know, red meat's going to kill you. Cholesterol is going to kill you. Saturated fat's bad for you. Um, I thought we'd start with trying to dispel that as, as, as concisely as possible. Um, but how would you go about doing that? If someone were to say to you, Oh, that's going to kill you, man. Well, the, the research doesn't suggest that it's going to kill you. I think there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of research in both directions. Um, I, I try to explain things to people when it comes from like an evolutionary standpoint. I think, I think battling the war of evidence-based medicine it's a war, right? It's like anyone can do a study on anything and then it becomes what you believe. The double blind randomized placebo control study is not meant for food, right? Like that's for a drug versus placebo or a drug versus standard of care. So whenever someone is really talking about like a, a, a double blind placebo control when it comes to nutrition, that's not realistic for the most part. I think feeding studies are really interesting. And so I do bring up things like the Verda Health Study, um, but, but if you start like bringing up, oh, well, you know, the cardio, the college of cardiology said that saturated fat isn't bad for you. Here's the article. Oh, here's this article. Here's that. I think that's a very, that's a losing battle for both sides. No one, no one's going to win that battle. I try to think about nutrition from the perspective of evolutionary biology. There's a guy, Bill Schindler. He's a professor. He's, he's a great guy. And I love his message because it comes from our, the archeological record. It comes from understanding our teeth, our gut, the pH in our stomach, the biology, the biochemistry of our bodies are a much better uh, indicator or marker of what you should be eating. So um, the problem is, is most people don't have a good handle on biology. They don't have a good handle on understanding biochemistry. They see some article or they see some YouTube video or some documentary and they hang on to that. Um, what I, what I mostly tell patients that are actually in the vegan or plant-based world is that most of those folks think that you bypass our poisonous food system by not eating animals that, oh, like feedlots are bad or, or making animals suffer is bad. Yeah, of course. It's like, not good. <laughs> no one's arguing that that's not what right. we're talking about. We're talking about what is the optimal food for a human and cooked and fermented plant foods and, and, uh, and that's fine. So my biggest message to people is if you're talking about food from a moral, ethical, global warming standpoint, you're, you don't win by eating plants. Like if you buy Monsanto corn, you're contributing as much to a, a toxic food system as you are uh, by getting a grass fed grass. I mean, I'm sorry, grain fed uh, cow it's, you're not winning, right? So the most important thing that I could tell anyone listening is that when it comes to procuring food and producing food, 
there's better ways to do it. And in our space, in the low carb community, we talk a lot about rotational agriculture, uh, regenerative agriculture. If the vegan and plant-based community talked about that, I would be like so excited because that's what's going to heal our planet. That's what's going to let us feed a bigger population in a more thoughtful way um, and a more sustainable way. So the fact that only the animal-based community talks about that and the plant-based community like ignores terrible agriculture practices, vilifies anything that's animal-based, and then doesn't fails to mention the overmount, the overwhelming amount of death to to animals when you monocrop, for example, like the amount of plants uh, of animals that are die while they're, you know, pulling these crops and clearing the fields. You know, they're missing a huge chunk of the story. Uh, my feeling is that most people have their heart in the right place. You want to treat animals and plants with respect. You shouldn't cover your plant in a toxic substance just so that it looks good on your plate. That's not good for the plant. That's not good for the person. That's not good for the environment. Um, so maybe we should be thinking about feeding the planet in a more sort of localized way, like uh, you know, what foods are available in your part of the world, what foods are available during that season. And that's what you should be focusing on. So anyone who's eating an avocado, and I used to say this, an avocado day keeps the doctor away, right? I thought that was so clever. But the reality is you can't, especially in most of the world, you can't have an avocado without shipping it using fossil fuels and, and preserving things. And then, you know, like it's just so toxic. So I really, you know, when you think about it, the, the best way to eat is what's available to you. The best way to procure food is local and seasonal um, and and then you add the layer of what's the pro appropriate amount of processing no you don't need to mill all of your wheat perhaps fermenting all of our wheat would unlock the nutrients and make that wheat more tolerable and then i wouldn't tell everyone to stop eating wheat. so everything right. is not black and white like you so much subtlety to nutrition and food and i think it gets lost in the battle of vegan versus animal versus versus plant-based all these like camps that everyone's in and, and, and so there's so much subtlety to it. And, and that's, I think what I try to like teach people is learn about the food system, learn about your community, learn about your own biochemistry and your own biology so that you understand that you feel crappy because you're not eating enough protein. You feel crappy because you're eating sugar all the time or some kind of processed grain that's spiking your insulin and then it's tanking and you feel crappy. And then you have to eat more, understand that your hormone system and, and your gut health are so intricately tied to each other and to the food you put in your body that, you know, just saying, I'm only going to eat this, or I'm only going to eat that, or this is bad. And this is good. It's never the case. It's always somewhere in the middle. Um, and that's why, that's why Sapien exists. I have an organization called Sapien at sapien.org. And I have a podcast called the Sapien podcast with Brian Sanders. Um, and we're making a movie called Food Lies because our mission is to educate people. Now, whether people will listen or whether people will be stuck in their camp and hold their, their line, I almost don't care. What I, what I try not to do is, you know, there's this big push for carnivore. And while it was good for the for the idea of animal-based diet. And, and I love Sean Baker and I, I support MeetRx community. I do talks with them all the time. It's not about being carnivore, right? It's about understanding what is good food for you. And if you're sick, perhaps a carnivore diet is a better 
uh, move than a vegan diet. And perhaps if you've been on a vegan diet for three years and you feel like crap and you have to supplement aggressively multiple B vitamins that should be present in your food, even in a toxic food system, that might not be a good diet for any human, arguably. Um, but the most important message is we are in a toxic food system. So even in my world, even if someone's eating a sapien diet, we supplement salt, we supplement magnesium. I still supplement B vitamins for many of my patients, including myself. Um, vitamin D is so important. It's very, very hard to procure from your food sources. Getting healthy sun exposure is a part of it. So again, with the sapien diet, it's never just the diet. It's sapien diet and lifestyle because you're not going to be healthy if you're just eating a good diet. Right. You have to do, uh, I like to think of like five key things that you have to do to be healthy every day. You have to eat a healthy diet. Fine. We got it. You got to move. Doesn't mean you need to be a workout freak. You just got to move your body, whether that's doing some Tai Chi, going for a power walk, going for a run, lifting. I don't care. Move your body, yoga, whatever. It doesn't matter. Get sun, 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 sun. Don't burn. Don't go crazy. Don't put like butter on your skin and hold foil to your face crazy right um, but definitely you need to get sun you need to do something for your stress management every day stress management especially in the times of covid is critical and then the last part about it is sleep and i probably should have started with that i think sleep needs to be like your, your job you need to live and build your life around having a healthy sleep routine, having a healthy sleep environment, because you can do all of those things. If you're not sleeping, if you have underlying sleep apnea, that's not being addressed, you're not, you're going to suffer and get sick over time. So if you're covering all five of those bases, you're going to feel good. Um, and then you can go to the next level and start doing different lifestyle changes to really even improve your health and make yourself even healthier. That's just a baseline. Those five things just get you to a good baseline. That's yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty comprehensive. Um, and I had actually Dr. Bill Schindler on the show a little while ago. Um, and uh, with him, Brian Sanders, and hopefully I'm going to be inter interviewing Dr. Pran Yoganathan soon. Um, guy, he's great. Yeah, he's awesome. I love his Instagram. Um, but that's kind of what I started to learn because I did go all the way in that direction. I didn't go vegan yet. I, I, I think I, <laughs> I learned too much to actually be willing to go vegan at that point. But I went like almost vegetarianish, right? And I was, oh my God, I was bloated all the time. I was, uh, you know, I had brain fog. My sleep wasn't very good also. And it's just, I found that once you dig in a little deeper than the, you know, the, the surface level vegan arguments, you start to pick it apart quite easily. Yeah. And again, I, I actually, when it's a vegan person, I, I, I don't really fight that battle. I think that most people will figure it out for themselves. Um, maybe for some people it works. It doesn't make sense on a biochemistry level, why that would work, um, especially in the long term. But I think that, um, like there's so many people out there. There's so many different schools of thought. There's so much information everyone's absorbing. Um, someone has to be willing to listen and learn in order to be successful with this stuff. Um, there's still many people that are just like, give me drugs. I'm good. I'm going to eat whatever I want. Give me a statin. Give me some diabetes drugs. I'm, I'm going to keep doing what I do because this is what I do. And I respect those people too. I think everyone gets to live their life the way they should. I think freedom to live your life is a cornerstone of America and, 
And so I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of letting people live their life the way they, they wish to. And if that means being sick, that means being sick. And if, uh, so you get it. And, and I, I do think that you have to meet people where they're at. So someone like myself, who's taking care of a lot of people from different walks of life. I just try to meet people where they're at. And some people are like, oh my God, tell me everything. <laughs> and then other people are, are, are saying, you know, I don't believe you about red meat. My doctor's been telling me for 30 years to not eat red meat. And then I said, well, you have, you now have heart disease and you had a stroke. Maybe, maybe that wasn't great advice, but it doesn't matter if they're going to trust me. If they're going to, if I'm, if I'm just going to manage their medications, I'm cool with that. Um, again, I think everyone has their own journey and maybe someone discovers, um, a healthy diet in their sixties or seventies, someone discovers it when they're 20 or something, everyone's different. Do you get many vegan or vegetarian patients? Not many. I think at this point, my reputation stands for itself. I think I do have a number of vegetarian and pescatarian patients. And frankly, that fits into a sapien diet. If you do it thoughtfully, yeah, you know, um, I think only veganism, in my opinion, is the only one that you really are just going to fail at. Um, some people can do really great with a vegetarian diet if they're including plenty of healthy fat and protein. So, yeah, I mean, I would say most people are, are, are just self-selecting group of people. Um, but I also have tons of patients that I just do medical management. They have no idea what, what I feel about lifestyle medicine. Uh, for many people, it's just, it's just, it's too much. It's, it's, they've been living their lives one way and they might listen and just kind of, you know, be curious Mm, but, um, but, but it's fun now because I have enough of a reputation that if people are excited about trying something different, or if they're struggling with keto or carnivore or fasting, they come to me for guidance and, and that's what I'm good at. And would you say, because I've had a few functional medicine practitioners on the podcast as well, would you say what you do is kind of similar to that? Kind of. Um, I think every integrative and functional medicine doctor has a different take on it a little bit. Um, you know, for me, I looked into doing a functional medicine certification and I just found it to be expensive. And all of that information is available for free everywhere. We'll focus on herbs and plant food of plant food and herbs and being thoughtful about it. And I certainly I'm a huge proponent of like adaptogenic mushrooms and 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 I even do some Ayurvedic kind of supplements, but, but, but the, the thing, the difference for me is I don't really think that's going to make them healthy. I think that's another piece to a large puzzle that can help, help you be healthy. Um, I still think that if the focus should be on lifestyle medicine, I've landed on that term. I consider myself a lifestyle medicine doctor. Um, I think that taking supplements is a lifestyle choice. The way you eat is a lifestyle choice. The way you exercise, the way you sleep, these are lifestyle choices. Um, pharmaceuticals are a great tool. Um, herbs and are a great tool, but you know, someone who's like, who has a staph infection and they're using herbs to cure it or treat it. I think that's probably a bad idea because before agriculture, before modern medicine, people used to die from infections and from trauma. And so Western medicine has a very powerful role including vaccines. And this is a huge thing. Like vaccines have a lot of benefits. There's a lot of very, very important life-saving, like millions and millions of lives saved by this stuff. But when you start piling everything into one, all vaccines are the same. Right. All viruses and bacteria are the same. All people should eat only this one way. All, everyone needs to do this. Everyone, it's like, no, there's, there's, 
there's fundamental principles that all humans should consider, like the ones I mentioned. I, you don't even need to eat an animal-based diet. You need to have the right amount of healthy animal food. You need the right amount of protein. You need enough healthy fat. You need to limit the processed food. But that doesn't mean you can't do that as a vegetarian or a pescatarian. Um, and, and frankly, if you spend your whole life focused on food, you could even do it as a vegan. Um, I, there's some out there. Um, but that's, that's unrealistic to most humans in a modern society. So I try to teach principles rather than dogma. I try to explain our hormone system, our, um, the way we manage, the way our body handles blood sugar, the way our body uses cholesterol and saturated fat, the way our gut is directly tied to all the foods that you eat. I try to explain those things. And for some people it's too much. And I think that if you try to simplify nutrition and lifestyle medicine to just like core rules or core dogma, you're never really gonna help a lot of people. You're going to help a small group of people that are really interested in that. And so, yeah, I really try to spread a message that is applicable to everyone because when I tell you an animal-based diet, for some people that might mean eating some chicken a few times a week and some eggs. And for some people like myself, it might mean 80 to 90% of their calories come from animal food. I don't actually think that the two are in opposition of each other. I think everyone is different on some level. But rather than being in a camp, one where additionally, the Western medicine system is so focused on disease management that they don't know how to teach health, health management. They don't know how to cure, they only know how to manage. And so that's why I consider myself like an animal-based doctor or whatever, simply because I think that that's what's missing from most people. Um, but if I really had to like nail one problem in the nutrition space, it's processed food. It's processed yeah. making everyone sick. And I think that anyone who's eating a whole foods diet, whether it's plant-based or animal-based is going to do much, much better than someone who's eating processed food. And what many people don't understand is that when you eat something with flour, you're eating processed food. And that ends up being like so much of the food that we're eating. So then I'm telling people that the vast majority of the food they're eating is processed and, and that's hard to compute. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that you said that. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show is because you're not like meat good, plants bad, um, very, you know, because I do see that on social media. And I guess social media is one of those places where it's hard to have a nuanced conversation, but a nuanced conversation is exactly what's needed um, in the world of nutrition, just because of how complex it is, not only you know, like the biochemical stuff, but also like you're talking about SNPs and you're talking about genetics now, and you're talking about so many different things, like, like people's um, financial situation, for example, like it just gets to be tough. Um, yeah. It does. I think in the world of social media, a lot of people are just trying to be social media famous. So one of the things I really didn't like when the carnivore community exploded and there were certain doctors I won't mention they just jumped on it because if you make a post about how red meat is so good for you and how plants are toxic, you're going to get hundreds of thousands of followers because people want to hear that. You yeah. know, sometimes you've just, uh, I try to be authentic and honest. And that does, that means that I might not get a million people to follow my account because I'm not saying inflammatory stuff. I'm saying something that's nuanced and complex and, and is, is full of the details that requires some thought. Um, I do think that social media space is all about little quick 
bang bang little snippets and things and 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 no one will be successful if they live their life by you know twitter blurbs like you can't you right. can't you can't learn like that so you know i often uh, why I love these long form podcasts is that you can really understand what someone is, is talking about. And even some of those folks that I was not happy about when you listen to them on a long form conversation, um, their message is not that different than mine. But I think that when you're going for the grab of followers and you're trying to like become a guru for like some group of people, you're, you know, it's not honest. If you actually understand nutrition and you actually understand what it's like to take care of people. Right. Yeah. It tends to, it tends to be very inflammatory and emotion provoking because if you say to someone, this is the one thing that's going to cure you. I mean, that's much more exciting than saying, well, in some cases and in some people like, but I do think that people are getting sick of it. People are getting sick of that um, because they're getting sick of getting disillusioned. So I think we're moving in the right direction. I do too. I can't tell you how many people come to me now and it's just the most fun. And I used to always have to explain basics to people and now people know basics and it's like, well, how do you successfully fast? Well, there's a lot of little, little subtleties to that. How do you successfully eat an animal-based diet to make sure you're not feeling sick from that? I mean, you can mess that up too. No, it's just a tough battle, some honesty and truth. And uh, those that want to listen do well. And those that don't, they do whatever they do. It's not my problem. Um, You know, I used to like really feel like, oh, everyone has to listen, but they don't. Everyone can do whatever they want. And those that want to listen and do better, they can. And those that don't, maybe they'll come around later. That's all good, man. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's, that's absolutely true. Um, So I want to talk about a little bit your, your um, background because you're an internal medicine physician, correct? Internal medicine physician. How is it that you got to be so open-minded about nutrition? I mean, um, I went into medical school pretty naive, even though my mom's a doctor you know, she's a specialist, she's a podiatrist and she does aesthetics. So she, she has a lot of like, uh, knowledge from the, you know, she was a doctor in Russia. So there was a lot of things that I learned from her that didn't match up with what I learned in medical school. Um, I was also very, very confused when they would teach me basic science, like biochemistry and pathophysiology, and it would be very clear what's bad for you. And then the recommendations that they would later teach me when I was treating people did not match up to that biochemistry. And so I would ask questions, ask questions, and, but those questions challenged authority, right? So if I'm challenging this, the American nutrition guidelines, or if I'm challenging a GI doctor to say, maybe everyone doesn't need a truckload of fiber, and maybe every person recommending more fiber Uh, is not the answer. And just having one line about nutrition for everyone is not a good. So I basically questioned all that the whole time. Um, I got really, really frustrated with what they were teaching me in residency, because I was like, uh, I, I basically noticed that many doctors would follow guidelines and not look at the patient in front of them. It just became like robotic. And to me, that's not medicine. To me, that's going to be replaced by an algorithm real quick. Um, It's not that you know, following guidelines is easy. Memorizing guidelines is easy. I mean, at least for me and most of like doctor people, we can memorize this stuff and regurgitate it. To me, that's not being a doctor. A doctor is an art, uh, the art of dealing with the person in front of you, the art of communicating effectively. 
Um, and the art of taking all of the information you have and integrating it and giving um, an appropriate recommendation for someone in front of you. So if someone comes to me that's vegan and I say only eat animal food, that's crazy. They're going to not listen to me. They're going to leave. And that's silly, right? So um, as I kind of went through residency, I, I decided I wouldn't be a specialist because I felt that most specialists had a very, very narrow view of, of medicine and um that's actually changing. I'm starting to see a lot more specialists that are like, mm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my mind. Um, and so then as I started my own practice, um, I, I just took it as, look, there's something wrong here. I don't know it. I, I don't see through it yet, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. And so through, through my relationships uh, with guys like Brian Sanders and other really smart people, um, through my own research and books, podcasts, um, even going back to my medical school literature and kind of rereading it and being like, mm, it's right here. Like the answer is right here. It's, they just, the recommendations are wrong, but, but the, the science is there. So um, my background is as a scientist. I almost did a PhD in neuroscience because I did a lot of work in the space of neuroscience. And, uh, and I almost did that. So I, I'm really like, uh, I'm, I'm proud to say I can analyze a paper. I can look at statistics. I can look and read through re like primary research and make my own conclusions. So instead of just listening to what I'm told, I read. It's that, it's that simple. Just read and, and every day be willing to change your mind. Um, and so as I was developing my practice, I, I just kept changing. I just kept changing and changing and changing until I landed on some of, and by the way, I still change. I still change like my approach to some of the more subtle things as I've learned more. Um, and I, I, you know, there's this saying that's really old and everyone knows it, that, uh, medicine is an art, like medicine is an art that means it's can be interpreted in different ways. It means that everyone has a different style. Uh, and it means that it, it shouldn't look the same from one practitioner to the next. Um, now, that doesn't mean you have to avoid evidence-based medicine. You could still be anchored in evidence-based medicine, but you cannot be a slave to it. You cannot be married to evidence-based medicine. It is a guiding light. It is not an authoritarian determination of how you must practice medicine. So I've always taken that approach. Um, and I think that that's what I do. I, I'm an artist to not sound silly, but I'm an artist. I look at every patient differently. I take what they're, what I'm seeing in front of me. I take what, what, what they're telling me. I'm taking the objective findings through their labs and vitals and all of these, and I'm integrating it. And I'm thinking, what, what can I do to bring value to this person? For one person, it might be medication management. For the next, it might be a discussion about acute versus chronic stress. For the next, it might be a discussion about an animal-based diet. For the other, it might be, here's the book you should read. I don't even want to tell you anything. I, and how do I determine that? Because I'm good at what I do and I pay attention to the person I'm working with. And I built a practice where I can spend some time with someone. And anyone who works for a corporation and is pumping through 20, 30 patients a day cannot do that. And that's sad. So oftentimes it's not the practitioner, it's not the doctor, the NP or whoever is taking care of you. It's the system that is forcing them to comply. And uh, I can't change that, but I can practice medicine the way I think is, is, is thoughtful um, and it's meaningful and it's focused on healing and curing instead of treating and managing. And sometimes I still treat and manage. It's not about being only one way. Um, 
And so, yeah. And, and so sometimes I'm talking about supplements and sometimes I'm talking about blood pressure meds and it's just different every time. And really that's how it should be for everyone. Um, yeah, that's kind of my ethos. Going off of that, what do you think? Because there's a lot of controversy right now about um, cholesterol and statin use. What, do you, what are your thoughts on statins, given that you mostly consume a lot of fat from animal sources? Um, well, I think uh, lipidology is an evolving field, and I think we're only just starting to scratch the surface of it. I think traditional concepts about LDL and cholesterol and saturated fat are already archaic, and anyone, anyone who's in the field knows that. Some people choose to follow the guidelines. Most people choose to follow the LDL-driven guidelines. Um, fine. Uh, those guidelines were paid, bought and paid for by drug companies selling drugs. Those drugs are good for some people. I do think like someone with diabetes or heart disease or a stroke or severe metabolic disease or family history of early cardiovascular disease, things that we don't often understand um, or, or disease processes we do like cardiovascular disease, um, they will benefit from uh, cholesterol lowering drugs. I do not know any good evidence to suggest that a statin is good for primary prevention of those disease processes. And so for the vast majority of patients, I do not start that. I do aggressive lifestyle modifications until they fail. And failure looks different. For some people, it means that their lipid panel gets worse and worse and worse because they're not listening. And I might just start a statin to protect them. But looking at a number like LDL and driving your cholesterol or drug uh, management based off of one number is insane. It's insane and it's, it's, um, it's stupid. It's like not being uh, thoughtful. It's like, oh, I see this number, I'm gonna do this. Why do you, you don't need a doctor for that. Uh, I get messages from, from, from pharmacies saying, oh, I see this number, you should do this. No, that's why, I, that's why you have a doctor. You have a human being that makes decisions. So I, so I think that there's a role for statins. I think we've grossly overused them because Look, if you can sell drugs to people, it makes a lot of money. And that's that's the name of the game. It's not about healing. It's not about curing. It's not about even treating. It's about making money. And that's not a, you know, it's not a knock against anyone. That's the kind of society we built. But I think there can be checks and balances to that. And that is educating providers um, and educating patients about uh, how fat works in your body. So in my case, um, I look at your HDL, I look at your triglycerides, I look at your CRP, I look at your fasting insulin, I look at your BMI, I look at other markers in the CBC like RDW, I look at your urine, are you just spilling protein? There's, I look at the whole picture and I decide. And one thing I don't do is tell someone that if they don't take this drug, they're going to die. I don't play the fear mongering game. Fear mongering doesn't work. Positive reinforcement has been shown through evidence-based studies uh, to be much more effective than negative reinforcement. So I don't do fear mongering. I say, look, it's my recommendation. In your case, you should take a statin because you have type two diabetes, your A1C is poorly controlled, and I think it would be good for you. And if they say no, all right, that's cool. That's up to them. I don't say, oh my God, you're going to die. Look, everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to get sick from something eventually. So all you can do is be there for them. So if, if I uh, honor someone who doesn't want to take a drug and then later they come to me because they had a heart attack, then I'm like, look, I, it's what happened, but let's do better now. Okay. Or if I see someone who has an HDL of 90 and a, and a triglycerides of, uh, you know, 
60 and a cholesterol of 300 and someone put them on a statin and they're like, do I really need it? I say, no, you don't because you have a healthy metabolic panel um, and their CRP is zero, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that's what I do. I wish that it was driven that way, but guidelines in general are driven by food and drug companies. Um, it's very, very difficult to change their guidelines because they got the money. And those guidelines are built to sell you more food and sell you more drugs. This is not a conspiracy theory. Everyone knows this. This is how our healthcare and food system works. So the idea is not to hate it and vilify all pharmaceuticals. It's about understanding it and being clever and smart and leveraging the power of those tools and leveraging the power of saying no to some of those tools when it's not appropriate. So again, it's just one of those things where it's more nuanced, it's more thoughtful, um, and it should be driven by the patient. So I, I keep saying this, right? Every individual in America, I can't speak for the rest of the world, I'm very proud to be an American and I'm very proud of the kind of society we have built. And I personally do not like where it's going because we're taking away individual people's rights. People should have rights. Our job as providers, as a government, as media, as educators, even like yourself sharing a message should be to do just that, create good uh, ideas, create good messages, create education that is palatable palatable people something that people can digest because it is so nuanced and then people get to make their own decisions and i always tell people you should have a really strong relationship with your doctor because it should actually be a shared decision what do you think well what do i think let's try this let's see each other in a few months let's decide let's repeat the blood work let's decide we don't need to follow the guidelines let them be a guide a guide not a dogma and I think with that strategy, you end up connecting with more patients, you end up having more powerful breakthroughs with patients, and you end up mitigating a lot of disease. Um, and, and, and so it's that doctor-patient relationship, it's the education and the onus on the patient to understand what they're doing, it's the expectation of our government and our governing bodies like the CDC to give real meaningful evidence and maybe even give two sides of the story instead of just selling one story, give both sides and let people choose. Again, America is driven by your power to choose what your life looks like. And I think when you tell people in America what to do, no. Like eventually they're like, no, I'm doing what I want. And I think instead of being afraid of that, we should embrace it and educate and empower. And, 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 and understand, have empathy for people who, by the way, what happened to agreeing to disagree? Like, okay, you want to be vegan? I want to be carnivore. Cool. We can still be friends. Like we can still be friends and maybe later I'll eat more plants and you'll eat some meat and we'll be good. Instead yeah. of just hate you. <sighs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that was, I mean, I faced that personally because I had a differing perspective on COVID from the be from the beginning. And I, I like told some of my friends that, and it wasn't like in a negative way, but lot, some of them were just like, and friends that I've had since like childhood, and they were just like totally cut communications with me, which was pretty shocking. And others um, strengthened that relationship. But I was like, wow, where are we? If even, you know, like childhood friends can't talk about something that's going on in the world and come to some sort of 
just a discussion. We don't even need to agree, like you said. Agree to disagree. Again, I think this idea that I'm not going to talk to you because we disagree with each other is probably the scariest thing that we're seeing right now. Uh, you know, I think uh, I don't want to get too into COVID, but we know some stuff and we don't know some stuff. Yeah. And uh, I, instead of being upset with each other, uh, we should be teaching each other the stuff that we know. And then agreeing to disagree and waiting for more evidence and waiting for more evidence and seeing what's happening. Instead, it seems like everyone wants to take a side and then hold on to that side like it's like the most important thing. Um, Look, there's other problems in the world than COVID. Like there's a lot of bad stuff going on. There's a lot of bad stuff in our food system. There's a lot of bad mental health stuff as a side effect of COVID and of social media. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I just worry that people are get becoming way, way, way too tunnel vision and they're missing the big picture. They're, they're upset with your, your friend because they disagree with you about masks, but are failing to realize that that friendship is more important than agreeing about masks. The friendship the human interaction, the love, the support, that is the most powerful thing we can give each other. We can, we just being there, just listening. And instead of, of just getting mad at each other, and when you get mad, you project negative energy. And I really believe that energetic powers really get transferred, even just from a look, from, a, from the tone of your voice. And so when you get mad at each other over things that are meant to be disagreed on, and when you say I own science or you own science or you're a nutcase or you're a conspiracy theorist, you create a negative energy that is more destructive than anything else can be. Um, because as human beings, we are powerful in this world because we can cooperate. Like the, the heart of humanity's success is cooperation. That's why we have dominated this planet because we can be much more powerful together and we can do it in high, large numbers. That's what makes it, that's what broke us out of the hunter-gatherer society that we, we were originally living in for millions of years. And every time we fail to understand the power of communication and the power of love and reason and, and understanding and compassion um, we, we, we make ourselves sicker. We make ourselves mentally sicker. We make ourselves physically sicker because your brain drives how your body works. And until we figure that out and until our leadership starts promoting more, more understanding and love, um, we're going to keep suffering. And so that's why my most, most, most important message always is just like, whatever you want, man, whatever you want patient in front of me. I get it. Life is hard. This stuff is tricky. It's even more tricky in these last few years. I get it. I'm not here to be mad at you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to listen and give you some guidance. And if you choose to take a different path, I will still support you. I do not care. You're a human being and I love my fellow human beings. That's like the heart of it. And so I think that in our community, there's a lot of folks trying to promote that message of understanding. And I do hate that it's plants versus animals, vegan versus carnivore, you know, masker versus anti-masker, pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. It's just too polarizing. Everyone, most people, not everyone, but most people live in between. Most people are not a Republican or a Democrat. They're somewhere in between. 
okay, this year I'm associating as a Republican. This year I'm associating as a Democrat. You know what? You get to change your mind too. That's what you get to do. So rather than all this hostility and fear mongering and, and lack of empathy, I, I think it's about, for me anyway, it's about digging in even harder to those principles of like understanding each other. And, um, and that's what I'm going to keep doing um, because I think it's the only way to help each other through this. I love that. I kind of want to touch on a few, a few other things before, before I let you go. Um, so for people that are hearing this, and they're just thinking about the nutrition part of it. We already kind of covered most of that, but, but what would you say, what would you say are some things that can be helped by nutrition? Because that's often something that I think gets missed. It's like nutrition doesn't only affect like your gut health, it affects like your brain health and and so many other things. So, so how can people go about starting a sapien diet? Well, at least in my clinic, I just try to, again, meet people where they're at. So it's hard to give people a general guidance. Um, If you're in America, you should avoid sugar, flour, and corn. Um, since we're talking more inclusively, I would also include vegetable oils. Those four products should be avoided. Now there's caveats, right? Maybe a little bit of, you know, sesame oil in your, um, Asian food to give it some flavor. Maybe that's okay. Uh, maybe, uh, if you're going to get some fermented sourdough bread where the wheat is fermented, that's definitely okay. Unless you have diabetes and then you shouldn't be eating carbs like that. Right. Um, if you're getting a local non-GMO corn and you're eating it modest, modestly, it's probably okay too. But as a general rule, I would cut out corn, wheat, and um, uh, corn, corn, wheat, and sugar from your diet. I would include soy too, but I don't. It's too much. Um, so people don't tend to eat that much soy, and people that tend to eat a lot of soy are not listening to this, and they don't care what I'm saying. So it doesn't matter. Soy is a replacement for meat. Soy is a bean that is highly processed by the time it turns into tofu. I don't, it's not real food. It's, it's, it's okay, but you know, there's all sorts of problems with soy when it comes to hormones. So, um, so cutting out those four items, sugar, wheat, corn, and um, uh, sugar, wheat, corn, and vegetable oil, step one. Step two, understand that breakfast, lunch, and dinner uh, and snacks was made up by the food system. That is not evidence-based medicine. I have no idea why anyone would suggest it's evidence-based medicine. There's no evidence for it. Uh, Whatever evidence exists can be ripped apart by anyone with scientific mind. Um, You kind of have to accept that because unless you have a scientific mind and unless you want to read The Big Fat Surprise or some of these other great books where they spend chapter after chapter after chapter breaking down the history of how we got here, you kind of have to accept that everyone's getting fatter, everyone's getting more metabolically damaged, everyone's getting more cancer, and it's because we're overfeeding ourselves. And so breakfast, lunch, and dinner, not a real thing. Um, I like to teach the 16-8 method as a baseline. Uh, People call it fasting. I try to teach people that that's not fasting. It's just not eating all the time. Uh, It's taking in eight hours of the day and eating your calories during that time and spending the rest of the day hydrating, sleeping, exercising, living your life. Um, Using food to make yourself feel better is another huge factor here. And uh, people have to have a real honest conversation with themselves. Am I eating this meal to make myself feel better? Or am I eating this meal because um, it's really nutritious? And I think for most people, uh, they're waiting for their lunch break because they want to feel better because something's bothering them. And 
and or they're addicted to sugar. So sugar and carbohydrates are highly addictive. When you mix them with fat and they're in the form of processed food, especially with these hyper palatable uh, forms of fat mixed with sugar, it is a metabolic disaster. It is a hormonal disaster. It affects your brain just like addictive drugs do. Um, so understanding that food is a drug, the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration for a reason. They are one and the same thing. They are the same thing. The food you put in acts like a drug on you. The drugs you put in change your metabolism and your mind, just like food does. So understanding the, that key relationship and using food and drugs in a thoughtful way uh, is the only way you're going to be healthy. So cut out those four junk foods. Um, start uh, at least the 16-8 method. Um, find a practitioner like myself that understands how to guide you through it because it's not easy. It's not like you're going to hear this podcast and tomorrow change your whole life. It just doesn't work like that. It took you decades to get to where you're at now. Teaching your kids. Another fun one that is important to think about is teaching your kids a savory palate instead of a sweet palate. When you feed your children sugar and carbohydrates, they develop a palate for that. It's very, very easy to teach that. It's much more difficult to teach a savory palate um, for a lot of reasons, but, um, and it's an evolutionary thing. I'm not going to go into that today, but, the, but, but if you can teach your child to like savory foods, they're going to avoid carbohydrate sweets inherently, and that's going to give them the best chance of success in their life. Um, you can do that for yourself too, but as you're an adult, you've really got to be committed to that because once you're hooked on sugar, it's, it's like, it's like a drug, it's a like Coke, you're going to be hooked on it. So you got to understand that that is a drug. Um, and, uh, I guess the last thing is don't just change your diet, make it a real lifestyle change. If you don't exercise, start doing a power walk for 30 minutes every day and change to a 16, eight and cut out those four processed foods and watch your life dramatically improve, right? If you're a person that watches TV in bed and checks their phone until they're going to sleep, stop that too. And focus on your sleep and use sleep as a way to heal yourself. Um, doing all of the things together and chipping away at small changes is how you're going to see a dramatic improvement. Focusing on any one of these things only will only get you so far. You will always get stuck eventually and need more help. So it's a lifestyle. Um, and, uh, and it's important to understand that reason why we called it sapien is because we are all homo sapiens. Our evolution, uh, our biology, our biochemistry has not changed dramatically in the last 10 or 15,000 years since we had agriculture introduced to our species. Uh, so you are biologically built to be a hunter-gatherer to live, to live in highly socialized egalitarian small groups, um, to eat seasonally and what's available to you, um, to not process your food to the extreme the way we do with their industrial processing. Um, if you lived in nature without industrial processing, you would never see vegetable oil in, in the concentrated way. You would never see soy in the form of tofu. It requires really epic work to create that food. Um, you would never be able to eat an avocado every day unless you lived right next to where those avocados are raised. And that's a small portion of our population. So back to that point. So like understanding your evolutionary roots, understanding your own biology, 
Um, this can help you not just with food, but with your relationships, with your sexuality, uh, with your uh, with your processing of information as it comes to you through the media, um, as your feelings change and, and you become emotional. If you're looking at yourself and your fellow person through the lens of evolutionary biology or evolutionary concepts, you will have a much clearer picture of what's wrong and what's right. When you look through everything through the lens of corporate America, marketing, brand names, sexy words like plant-based or holistic or blah, blah, blah. You know, whenever you get married to those kind of marketing tools, you're, it's going to be hard. It's going to get blurry. Uh, I think the, the root message anyone should start with is an evolutionary understanding of the human being. And that's when you'll understand how herbs and mushrooms and plant medicines can be so powerful because we evolved with them. We didn't evolve in a test tube. We evolved intricately connected to our planet. So if you spend all day in a, behind a desk and then you come home and you stare at your TV and your phone, you're going to be miserable because you're not built for that. Um, that being said, we have to find a balance because we live in a modern world. So a lot of what I teach um, is about how to call it ancestral hacking, as Brian Sanders likes to call it, call it biohacking, as the kind of community in general likes to call it, but figuring out ways to trick yourself into behaviors that will mimic your evolutionary origins to make you more healthy and more happy. So that would be eating whole foods, sauna use, cold exposure, sunlight exposure, um, red light therapy, maybe. You've been listening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, you know, we can kind of wrap it up with this fun concept. So again, uh, back to that idea of ancestral hacking. So biohacking, things like sauna and red lights, blue blockers, they're great. Uh, cryo chambers, they're great. Um, they're they're kind of using tech to mimic um, to mimic that. But um, I like to explain to people like this basic concept, like chronic stress makes us sick shitty food, not getting exercise, worrying about COVID, listening to the news too much, staring at your phone too much, uh, financial pressures, family problems, health problems. These are all chronic stressors that press on you and they make you weaker. So how do you deal with that? And for the most part, people are like, rest, go lay down, uh, go for a vacation. And we've all been on a vacation where you come back, you get a shitty email, you're right back to where you started, right? So, so rest is not the key to health. You got to rest, you got to sleep. I'm not saying you don't, but the key to health is leveraging acute stressors in a strategic way. Challenge your body, challenge your hormone system to get more strong and you can take on a bunch of acute stresses that you can control. When that chronic stress hits you, you're ready for it. So to what you were saying, acute stressors that I think are easy to apply. Intermittent fasting, extended fast. It challenges your metabolism. It's challenging. You do it right, you're going to get stronger. Uh, high intensity interval training. Yes, you can just power walk and jog, but if you push that power walk as you get stronger and do a jog or you lift some weights or you go a little harder each time um, and then eventually you do like bursts, things like sprints or, or lifting these high intensity bursts and then rest, high intensity, high intensity interval training. It's going to build you much faster and more effectively. Um, cold therapy. We were never in just heated rooms all the time. Like we were exposed to the cold all the time and we've adapted so well that it actually heals us, releases heat shock proteins, makes us more resilient. 
makes, you know, if you can tolerate a cold shower, you can tolerate some crappy emails. I don't know. That's a way to think about it. Hot heat therapy, same thing as cold therapy. Um, you know, sweat lodges. Um, you don't need a sauna. Nowadays you do, but like, you know, traditionally you can just make a little tent, little fire on the side and kind of manage it right. So we've been using heat therapy to heal ourselves forever. Um, what am I missing? Uh, I'm missing one. Oh, deep breathing. So people don't think about this, but we have always used our breath to control our temperature and our mood. And uh, deep breathing, when you do it strategically, uh, a la the Wim Hof method is probably the most popular and just box breathing. There's a bunch of them, but, but, but when you use that strategy to, you can change your biochemistry, you can change your neurochemistry to relax you and make you more powerful. And uh, the best example of leveraging these stressors are, um, is Wim Hof. Uh, Wim Hof is this amazing guy. If you're just hearing about him now, please go look him up. He's fantastic. And basically he can do superhuman feats and he's got no magic to it. He leverages three things, rest in the form of meditation. So mindfulness, mental rest from all the nonsense that's coming at you. Plus two of our acute stressors that we mentioned, cold therapy and deep breathing. So by, by, by having a really strong understanding of the deep breathing strategies, by being able to manage your body in a cold environment, and then by resting and meditating your mind, using those three things, you can perform what appears to be superhuman feats, but they're not. It's just, it's a reflection of how powerful the human mind and body are. And people have forgotten that because we live in little incubators, really comfortable environments. Um, and then we're in that comfortable environment and we're not ready for a challenge. And then COVID hits and no one has any coping skills and people's mental health goes, or they get sick and go to the hospital because they have low vitamin D levels and they're hyperglycemic and they have no metabolic flexibility and they have no pulmonary status because they're not using their lungs appropriately. And so that's where it all comes together is if you can just, you know, do some basic lifestyle stuff, you can be really, really healthy and it's cheap. It's not expensive. It just requires high motivation, an understanding of the human body, and an understanding of your evolutionary origins versus the bizarre modern world we've created, and finding a way to integrate those two to be successful and thrive. I totally agree with you. Dr. Schliffer, before we get into the rapid fire questions, I want to direct people to your website, your social media. So can you tell us where people can find you? Yeah, I'm probably most active at, on my Instagram dr gary evolve so healthcare.com um, you can see what we're up to you can become my patient um, and then we have sapien.org uh, which is our kind of education community website um, and uh, i have some other stuff brewing but those are probably the three main ways to learn about me and if you want to reach out uh, it's probably going to be Instagram. I, I, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, but I'm not active. They're just sort of like mirroring my Instagram. Got it. Perfect. I'll include those in the uh, description and the show notes, by the way. So question number one, what is the most important habit that you do every single day to support your mental and physical health? Sleep well. What is the most important lesson you've learned recently? Be open-minded and non-judgmental to people that disagree with you because they're, they're going to disagree. We're going to disagree on a lot of things. You don't need to get mad at each other. Which organ meat do you enjoy eating the most? Oh, pff, liver. I make, <laughs> I grew up Russian. I grew up eating liver. Oh, 
actually liver is a close sec second to caviar so fish roe oh man i i grew up eating red and black caviar my whole life um it's red caviar is the probably the most underrated food in the world it's so good yeah yeah i i found that the one way which is the most palatable of eating liver is pate yeah yeah me and my dad make we take pancreas liver spleen and we make our own pate it's bomb that's awesome and finally, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Hmm. That's, a, that's a good one. There's a lot of them. Um, shoot, man. <sighs> Patience. Patience. It's a long life. A lot of, no matter what you do, there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be successes and failures. Just patience and appreciate the moment. I wish I could look at my 20-year-old self and be like, dude, you look good. You, you got this. You're going to be good. Instead, I was super insecure. I was always like chasing something. Um, you know, I think that's good. It made me successful. But I think that a little bit of smelling the roses a little bit and, and like being in the moment and being really, really proud, motivated, right? Still hungry, but proud. And I think it took me a really long time to get, and I still struggle with that. I, I really do. Um, I think, uh, I think insecurity drives you, but it can also be limiting. It's got kind of this gas and brake effect, but I think uh, as I've gotten older, I've realized that by embracing my power and my confidence, I'm actually more effective than if I just constantly lean on my drive and my insecurity and whatever it is that I need more, more, more. I think uh, finding that balance has, has really calmed me down and given me like a better sense of, of like my day-to-day -day life. I'm very happy that I, that I began to ask this question to everyone because it's mostly advice that I need to hear. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I, I started it when I was 20, now I'm 21, but um, yeah. But anyways, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you were super, super busy today. So thank you very much for taking the time. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I love it. Be proud of yourself. And thank you for having me on. Please, as always, share this episode if you find it helpful. And leave me a review on iTunes. I would be happy to know what you think about it, as long as you leave me a five-star review. Thank you for listening and see you in the next one.